Something about climbing outside, it gives you a respect for the sport that I find in, in music as well, you know, that you are up against something so much bigger than you and all you can do is be thankful that you are part of this. And it just gives you a new respect, a different kind of respect for what you're trying to do. In the fall of 2022, the Oregon Symphony hired Deanna Tham as their new associate conductor. Deanna is incredibly talented, and she's an expert at drawing out rich sounds from large orchestras. Like many classical music fields, life as a conductor can be intense, and Deanna spends most of her time studying music, rehearsing, and performing. When she needs to let loose, Deanna goes rock climbing. You might think that scaling rock faces has nothing to do with conducting an orchestra, but for Deanna, the two disciplines actually have a lot in common. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living, an REI Co-op Studios production. It takes a lot of work to become a full-time conductor of a symphony orchestra. The process involves many years of school, thousands of hours of practice, and a deep understanding of instruments and ensembles. Not to mention, it's a really competitive field. Deanna has dedicated more than half of her life to the art of conducting. When she was 15 years old, she had the chance to conduct an orchestra for the first time, and she was hooked. Deanna Tham, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thanks. It's like a, a weird dream to be on here because it's just really cool to be able to talk about these two separate worlds in my life. Yeah, I don't know anybody who's the conductor of a major orchestra and also a badass rock climber. Uh, yeah, there's not that many of us. And, and I know like musicians sometimes can be, I, I do actually have musician friends who climb with me, but um, yeah, I know a lot of musicians can be wary, you know, of danger of their limbs and things. So That's right. I didn't even think about that. You need your fingers. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. So can you tell me a little bit about your world? You know, I have a few friends who are musicians, but I really don't know anything about the path to becoming a conductor. I don't come from a musical family or anything. Like my, my parents played instruments when they, you know, they were in the band in high school. And, um, and so I wanted to join the band in high school, but I thought I was going to be a doctor or something or an engineer. And, and then I joined the band and I just like loved the camaraderie of, playing in a large group. And then I got an opportunity in high school to experiment with conducting through marching band. I had a really encouraging band director. He gave me an opportunity and that talent just kind of came through. What instruments did you play? So I played piano from when I was really little. How little? Like four. Wow. You know, having a musical instrument, playing a musical instrument is really great for brain development that early. There's all these studies about it. I'm not going to bore you with all that. But honestly, when I was young, didn't really enjoy piano. I didn't like practicing. But when I joined the band in sixth grade, when we it became ensemble music, when it became um, something that I could do with other people. And then I picked up the French horn then. And that's when I really started to think, like, this is something I really, really enjoy. The French horn is cool. Yeah, I, I, my parents were, you know, when they were in the band, they both played the trumpet, and I wanted to play brass instrument, but it, the French horn is the big star of all those John Williams scores. You know, if you like seen Star Wars or, or Jurassic Park or E.T., all those big, 
like classic movie scores. John Williams just loves the French horn, and I wanted to do I wanted to play that instrument. But it's when I got to conduct for the first time. I came up through that opportunity in the high school marching band. I don't know how much you know about marching band, but there's there's a student conductor, and they're called the drum major of the marching band. And I saw that, and I wanted to do that. And actually, um, this is where you know my little plug for representation matters because the drum major before me in high school, she was an Asian woman as well. And I just saw like, oh, I, that's that's the thing that Asian women do. And she no longer is in music, but just having her up there really just made me think this is no big deal. This is something that I can do. This is something I want to do. So I tried out for drum major and I found that I had some talent in conducting and hearing all the different parts of a musical piece at the same time and knowing when they would come in and knowing how they fit together and knowing what should come to the fore and what should come to the back. And I didn't know that these were the things I was hearing when I was that young, but when I got up to conduct, just to feel all of those parts coming at me and being able to kind of filter them through me and then push them out to the audience, it was just like a feeling like nothing I've ever felt before. If you ever get a chance to stand for an orchestra and just have them play at you, it is absolutely electric. The sound that comes at you, it's like a wall that just like hits you in the face. And then to take all of that energy and really put your stamp on it and shape it and bring these people together. It's like, I'm trying to, I have this like image in my head of like a superhero or something that like takes in like a big laser attack and like you know, like Yoda's it into a little ball and throws it back. But that's the that's the feeling that you take all this energy and you kind of like Jedi it into this ball and you create something else out of it and you throw it out to the audience. It's it's absolutely electric. And that was the moment I was like, I can do this. And my band director saw talent in me. He said, you can do this. Like you have talent. This is a path that you can take. After high school, it was clear to Deanna that she wanted to pursue a career in classical music. She holds a master's degree in conducting from Northwestern and a postgraduate degree in orchestral conducting from the Cleveland Institute of Music. Deanna has been working with prestigious orchestras and symphonies for the last 10 years. For those who don't know much about classical music, it's important to understand that conducting is a complex job that can be hard to put into words. Deanna isn't just up there telling the musician what notes to play. So what is she doing standing in front of all those instruments? I get asked this all the time, like, what does the conductor actually do? And I will tell you, I ask myself that at least twice a week. What does a conductor actually do? What am I actually doing up there? And for the most part, especially with a a group like the Organ Symphony, they can, for the most part, play the notes in the right time together with or without a conductor. There are, of course, some spots where, like, they need a little bit of help if a tempo shifts very suddenly. So the question is, what do I do? And, I mean, a lot of it is to conduct the the rehearsal process, right? Every week here we perform, and we have, I think it's four rehearsals to put on the concert and the next week they will have four different rehearsals for the next concert. So it's not a lot of time to put together, you know, a two-hour show, especially with 70 people on the stage. But also when you get to like the actual gestures and what we're doing with the stick, um, it's, it's extremely cerebral. 
You're receiving a lot of inputs, and you're shaping it to create a cohesive structure over a piece. How do I make this arc make sense? How do I make this thing flow so that the players and the audience don't feel a disruption? They feel that the performance makes sense, right? The instrumentalists are really busy playing their own parts, especially if the music is really hard, and they don't have time to think about what's going to happen. Three pages later, that's the conductor's job. That's what the stick waving is about. Like, how do we shape this that's happening now, so that what is going to happen in thirty minutes makes sense? And and added on top of that is the fact that they have music in front of them, and they actually aren't looking at you most of the time. So my influence is I'm thinking ahead. I'm playing with your psychology and then group psychology, right? How do I make all these people do the same thing at the same time? Conducting is incredibly physical. It demands energy, focus, and flow. A few years into her conducting career, Deanna found another outlet that used a lot of the same skills. Instead of being up on a stage in front of musicians, she was rock climbing, balancing on holds, using her strength and focusing her energy to make it up the wall. Okay, so tell me, how did you get into rock climbing? Like, when in your path did you find rock climbing, and how did that um, stick? Yeah, I got into rock climbing later in my life, like probably probably around twenty four. Something like that, and I just gone through. I don't know. Probably a lot of people start new things this way, but I got gone through a bad breakup and needed something. No, to do. no one has ever told me that <laughs> after a breakup they found an outdoor sport. And you know, you need something to do. And I was home, and and my sister was like, "We're we're gonna go to the bouldering gym. You wanna come?" So I went, and I just I I. And I love introducing new people to rock climbing. Like I love doing that. And I found that there are two types of people. There are people that are like, "Oh, um, I'm not great at this. It's okay, I guess." And then there are people who are like instantly addicted. And I was the latter, just instantly addicted to it. I think it was a combination of things. Like one, you're out of a bad breakup. You're looking for yourself again. And I wanted to feel strong again.、Mm. And rock climbing. Makes you feel strong, which, like maybe eighteen months after I started climbing, I was probably the strongest I've ever been in my life.、Um, like you know, could never do a pull up ever in life, and then at like twenty six, like did my twenty five, did my first pull up, and we're like, what? What happened? You know? And also, I don't meditate. I'm just one of these people. Maybe I think I'm one of these people that should meditate, but can't really stand it long enough to do it. Um, my brain is is very active, and what climbing was able to do for me was focus it on one idea. Especially when you're bouldering, right? You're working on the problem.、And、I think that's why also I became so addicted to it. It just gave my brain something singular and focused and problem oriented to really work on and and find peace in that singularity of thought. I just. I just love how your brain thinks. You know, I think, I think part of it is is you've realized that rock climbing, just like music, is a form of meditation, 
in so yeah. many ways than just sitting still. I mean, your brain slows. You have to focus. And mm-hmm. there is nothing like, you know, when I first started going to the bouldering gym, you know, you suck. But like you suck enough times and you fail enough times and you keep getting to the top, even if you do the easiest route over and over, you get to the top enough times, you can't help but feel more badass after doing that. Yeah, for sure. And when you're looking to find yourself again and feel like you have control again and feel strong again, like that's an addictive feeling. There were so many aspects of climbing that Deanna fell in love with. The power of her body, the way climbing helped her focus on the present moment and quiet her mind, and the amazing community she met through the activity. When we come back, Deanna talks about the types of rock climbing she does, how the sport has influenced her relationship with failure, perfectionism, and more. Conductor Deanna Tham started rock climbing to get over a breakup more than 10 years ago. Little did she know she would fall in love with the sport. She squeezes in time at the climbing gym between rehearsals and concerts with the Oregon Symphony. During the symphony's off season, Deanna and her partner climb more technical routes outside. Okay, so you're like in your 20s when you found rock climbing and then eventually you went outside and started to like, like I've seen pictures of you. You're climbing some serious, straight up vertical walls of granite. Yeah, I mean, I'm lucky that my partner lives in the Denver area. So there's like a lot of great climbing out there. It's so accessible that we just during the summer, you know, when I orchestra's off during the summer. And if I don't have a summer engagement, I will, I just go out there and we hang out and just climb every weekend or climb before work. It's that easy to just get out there and do it. And, you know, gym climbing is great. I it's I feel strong and it's awesome. But something about climbing outside, it gives you a respect for the sport that I find in, in music as well, you know, that you are up against something so much bigger than you and all you can do is be thankful that you are part of this and it just gives you a new respect a different kind of respect for what you're trying to do you know I'm not a huge rock climber I do a bit in the gym I've only climbed outside like a handful of times and it seems like such an individual sport but it's not in some ways I mean yeah it in some ways it definitely is right it's just you and the wall a lot, but also it's not because it's you in the wall and your belayer who's keeping you alive. I mean, there's similarities to conducting in, in all of those roles, right? Let's talk about the belayer. You're trying to set up your leader for success, right? And you're trying to give them rope when they need. You're trying to give them not rope when they don't need it, you know, so that they can concentrate on the climb. And you're almost trying to protect their psychology from the ground. Like you can feel their energy through the rope 
And I and I know that like my me and my partner have that like if one of us is on edge on the rope, like you can feel it through the rope, especially if we're climbing in a place like El Dorado Canyon where we climb a lot. A lot of those climbs, you can't see your partner and you can't hear them because the creek is so loud. And so you're communicating through this rope non-verbally. And it's a lot of what I do as a conductor. We talked about that manipulation and that psychology that you have with people who aren't even really looking at you. And that's kind of the role of the belayer as well to just set your climber up to do the best they can so that they're not afraid to take the risk. While climbing is exhilarating and challenging, scaling giant rock walls can also be scary. Moving through fear is something Deanna practices all the time in climbing and conducting. Both disciplines involve a bit of risk. One wrong move can have a big impact. So much of music, I'm sure conducting especially, is, is perfectionism. Like one note off and the music sounds different. In rock climbing, you have to kind of, one, get over perfectionism, but also like you could die. So, you know, I want to I wanna talk to you about how rock climbing has maybe helped you. Yeah. Classical music especially, the way that we're educating is still it's just it's a classic art it's like ballet right like you all here have the stereotypical vision of what a ballet master is like it's very dictatorial and old-fashioned and classical music is one of those arts as well that's just old so the way we're educated maybe sometimes isn't the healthiest um we're pitted against each other constantly, right? Because there's one spot and you have to win. And when we're being educated, it's about being the best. It's not just about perfection. It's about beating other people. And it's not the healthiest mindset to be in. Because we're educated in this way in music, you know, our fear of failure is really acute. And a lot of times that can paralyze you. And I found that in my own life, right? Like if you don't take the risk, you can't fail. You know, yeah. But when I found climbing, you know, failure is how you learn to climb. You don't get to the top without falling off the wall a bunch of times, right? And that failure is like placed on you in a very visceral way. And that is a basic fear that we all have falling to our deaths, right? Falling off of something high. And so, you're faced with that that fear that butts up against this very like primal instinct that you have, like don't fall, right? But you inevitably do over and over and over. And so you're faced with a very real kind of consequence of your failure that you get to train out of you. And, and conducting is the same way where if you do something wrong in front of the orchestra, there's 70 people, and especially me, right? I'm a younger conductor right now. There are people in the orchestra that have been playing their instruments longer than I've been alive. And I'm up here telling them how they should play Beethoven or Tchaikovsky or whatever. And if I say something wrong, if I say, no, that note was right when it was in fact wrong, or if I say, no, that was sharp when it was in fact flat, like there is a distinct and immediate reaction that you feel in the orchestra. You feel their trust in you drop, like instantly. And those are that's a, a really a similarity that I found between rock climbing and conducting that was really interesting is that you're just faced immediately with your failure. 
And so you have to get over that fear. You you push the button of like, am I going to fail a lot? And sometimes it's really helpful, like when I actually do go and reflect on like falling and what I've learned from it. Sometimes it's really demoralizing. Sometimes it can paralyze you even more. You're like, I don't want to keep failing. I just don't want to keep doing it, you know? (laughs) So I'm still working out exactly, you know, how those two things either help or hurt each other. But I do know that they are similar. Yeah. What about flow? You feel it so much in these these sports, but in music too. Um, I'd love to hear your experience with, with flow and, and, and your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I've learned, first of all, like a couple of things um, that are really interesting about climbing and conducting. And they might be a little bit technical, but the first things that helps to contribute to this flow that we're talking about is to stay really grounded. And we learned this in conducting, which seems really weird, but they've, they've always, like, like I talked about, I'm a really energetic conductor. A lot of my energy comes out of my limbs. And when I, you know, was learning how to conduct and the teachers that I was studying with, they would say, look, you have all this energy, but it's like really diffuse and it's all out there and you're not communicating this energy like in a way that the, these musicians can understand. And what you need to do is stay grounded and stay in your feet because that's where we have balance and power, right? With the ground, with your when your feet are touching the ground, through our legs, through our core, that's where the power comes from. And it's a really weird technical thing, but in conducting, that is where the music comes from. It comes from the ground and the core. And I've really taken that when I, you know, I'm struggling with my climbing, which we all do, there's plateaus and all sorts of that when we're climbing. I always come back to that. And, I, you know, I was climbing the other day and I was like working on a route and there was this one move that I was having trouble with. And I just kept trying over and over. And I just remember to stay grounded and in your feet, just like you do when you're conducting. And, and that's where the music and the energy comes from and the flow comes from. And I tried the move again. And this time, you know, really focused on like, before the move, sinking into the wall, feeling the wall, feeling how the wall feels against my feet instead of pulling, you know, with my hands and trying to get up from the top, but really pu- pulling from the bottom and staying grounded. And I and I stuck the move, you know, so it's a really weird technical thing, but like to stay grounded because that's where your power is. And I just remind myself both ways when I feel like I'm not communicating effectively on the podium, like, am I on my feet? Am I grounded? Am I really harnessing all the potential of of my power and my balance. The thing I, I really found interesting as well is this analogy of over-gripping. When climbers go in for the first time or if you're struggling with a problem, you're like holding the holds really tightly and you're pulling up with your arms. And especially now that I've gotten more into sport climbing where the routes are longer and you have to endure the whole time and be more efficient, this analogy of not overgripping on the wall is really helpful. When you overgrip on the wall, you interrupt the flow. You're trying to control everything that your body is doing. And you stiffen the body and you stiffen the art. And I have to remind myself, you can't overgrip the orchestra. You can't exercise too much control over them because then the flow of the music becomes stilted. It becomes choppy. It doesn't make sense anymore. It's a really interesting 
analogy of having the right amount of control. My te- One of my conducting teachers used to say, you want to have a wide lens and a soft focus. Mm. It's a good analogy for life. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. When we overgrip, it's, uh, it's not so fun. Yeah. Another thing that I've found translates between the two disciplines is this idea of trying to repeat a performance because it went well one time. Like if I have to perform, I'm performing next weekend and I will perform the same concert four times. When we're climbing, you know, it's called like a red point attempt is when you've been working on the route and working and working and working and now you're going to try to do the whole thing clean. And a, a lot of red point attempts are like fraught with performance anxiety or like you're thinking about all the drills you did like okay that move has to be like this because I practiced it like that and so you're trying to repeat a performance and for those of us who have ever tried to repeat a specific performance when something went well the percentage of times that has worked is very low music it happens and then it's gone right sound happens in time and and climbing is like that too where when you're on a route once you do the move, it's gone and you're on to the next move. And how do you reconcile something that is fleeting? How do you control something? How do you repeat something that is fleeting like that, where you can't just sit in that moment forever? And what I've learned from performing is how to achieve that repeat performance. And I remember the first time I kind of figured it out was during one of my recitals. And I was like, you know, the rehearsal went so well. And I just have to remember that the trombones can't be too loud here. And the strings have to be softer here. But I can't go too fast here or else when I get there, it's going to be too fast. You know, I was thinking about all these things. And the performance is inevitably stilted and robotic, even though you're trying to do all the things right that you rehearsed. But when I figured it out, it was like, you know what? Like, it's not necessarily about all these specific things. You've rehearsed them. They're in your body. And now what you need to concentrate on to repeat the performance is intention and mindset. And that translates to climbing so much for me. If I maintain this larger intention and mindset about what you're trying to do, that's when I'm the most successful. That's when I can repeat reforms or even make a performance better the second time. And that's how I can get the send. There are so many of us who are chasing a repeat performance, whether it's catching a wave, sending a difficult climb, or repeating a concert. Deanna Tham, wow, I love your insights. If you want to learn more about Deanna Tham, you can get tickets to the Oregon Symphony and see her conduct in person. You can also watch the live stream of Deanna's concerts online at the Oregon Symphony's website, orsymphony.org. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger. Produced by Annie Fassler, Sylvia Thomas, and Sam Piers Nitzberg of Puddle Creative. And our senior producer is Jenny Barber. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, rate it, and review it wherever you listen. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>